Welcome to the Everyone's a Critic Movie Review Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bob Zerl. With me, as always, is professional film critic, Sean Patrick. Visit us at IHateCritics.net, Everyone'sCriticPodcast.com, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Our handle is CriticsPod. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Alexa, all your podcatchers. Uh, we haven't dropped off of Spotify yet. We'll see. I don't know what kind of effort that me that would really do. Uh, <laughs> but uh, oh, whatever else. Patreon.com slash Critics Pod is the best way to support the podcast. So you can listen to our bonus episodes where we've lately been talking about music. We covered Nirvana, Metallica, and the Beatles. We got plenty more to come there. We also talked about I Spit on Your Grave, did a long, in-depth episode over that and if you give us a rating and review on apple podcasts uh, the next person to do that will be getting a anniversary 4k blu-ray of of that it, it's a uh, pretty nice packaging uh <clears throat> it, it's a it's a really nice you know other than the f- content <laughs> uh but uh yeah next it really just makes a nice companion piece to our episode that's the point right uh, but the it's there for the next person to give us an Apple review. Uh, and then T Public, if you want to head over to IHateCritics.net, click on the T Public link up in the right hand corner, or search Critics Pod over at tpublic.com. All right, let's jump right into the episode. And let's find my pictures. And we will start with the Great Postal Heist. The Great Postal Heist is a uh, documentary uh, made by a guy who is the son of somebody who was a uh, union leader for the post office and who uh, has always sung the praises of the post office. And really, you know, we kind of all should sing the praises of the post office because it's a really still a very necessary thing for a lot of people. And without it, uh, try just getting a paycheck in the mail, you know, <laughs> if you get a paycheck in the mail still, you need the post office and the reason it's late is not because of the post office is because of the politicians and the people who are trying desperately to ruin the post office so they can privatize it and make money off of it um and this is a documentary about that but it's also about it's also a documentary about the various ways over the years that many people tried to uh destroy the post office one of which was just trying to micromanage it to death to get people to just quit to try and get postal workers to quit. Do you recall this phenomenon in the eighties and early nineties of going postal? Yes. It was a real thing. Not not made up. That was not something that the media came up with. The post office was was such a hard place to work and remains in many ways a very difficult place to work. Uh, because they would note you to death and you, you, anything you did, the, the, the management was told to just stay on top of everything. Why did it take you long, this long to do this route? Uh, why were you, uh, why were you in the bathroom for five minutes? You should have, you know, when you're only supposed to be in there for two. I mean, just the, the little things to, to the point where they were literally driving these people insane to the point where many of them did eventually explode and go in with a gun and start killing people. Uh, that was a real phenomenon. It was not necessarily the the outcome that they were trying to get, but it was the outcome of what everybody used to the post office because they were trying to justify their own jobs. You know, the management people especially are trying to adjust justify why they're there. Uh, so they're under pressure to try and keep the post office alive. At the same time, in doing so, they're driving their employees completely insane. 
And it's con- this constant thing with, with, you know, especially on the right, where they just denigrate the post office on a regular basis and do their best to try and dismantle it to the point where it becomes inefficient. And then they blame the employees for it being inefficient. And the employees are like, well, you, you changed all the rules on us and made it impossible for us to do our jobs. So what do you expect? Uh, it's a, it's a really eye-opening documentary. It's, it's a, a very, you know, a kind documentary to the to people who work at the post office. It's a, uh, very thoughtful. I mean, guys who are just really normal guys end up taking their own life just because they worked at the post office because it became so hard to. Tr- One guy was a union leader, and he was just trying to do his job and trying to do the best for his union, and he was just getting beaten down every single day uh, from all sides until finally, just he just couldn't take it anymore, and he took his own life. And this is what we're doing to people. This is what. Uh, you know, our, our, this is what the the government is doing to people, especially those who want to privatize things. They instead of you know putting out a bill and putting and arguing your side to say this is why we shouldn't have a post office, they continuously just nitpick it to death, just you know piece pull pieces off of it, uh, you know, just like toying with a fly, just pulling its wings off. Like it's just all the, it's a constant thing, and it's these poor people who are just trying to do their job and have a job that that pays their bills on a regular basis, which the number of people, by the way, everybody talks about how, what a great job the post office is. Like you can't get fired from a federal job and all that. There's still most post office workers. A lot of post office workers still getting welfare. They're still getting, you know, food aid because they don't actually make that much money. So don't, don't be talking about how great it is to work at the post office to me. Uh, I've seen this documentary and I know how much many of them make. Many of them do make good, a good wage and many of them get paid absolutely nothing. It depends on which state and in case states get involved and, and fuck up their post offices. Because again, they're part of that whole thing that well, we've got to, you know, pr- strangle the government down to a size that you can, that you can, uh, you know, drown it in, in a bathtub. <laughs> so we got to destroy the. We've got to destroy things like the post office, which is just this wonderfully nice thing. The post office is just a very good thing for for people, especially poor people. And that's the thing that they do. That's the thing we always do with the poorest people is we try and take and take and take away from all the time. Yeah, it's. I could tell you stories just what I've had to deal with. I mean, I work in a state that. You mentioned paychecks. You can't mail paychecks legally in Iowa. Wow. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, think they're taking that away so that, you know, so now people have to get direct deposit. They have to do this. They have to do that. You have to get, you know, it's a, now something may have changed and I'm not up on the laws, but when I, you know, the last time I looked, uh, and I wasn't prepared to talk about this, so I'm just, you know, <laughs> this could be dated, but yeah. I would not be surprised if that's still the rule. Uh, but yeah, you could not mail paychecks out, which is ridiculous. We had it like it's so easy. Like right now, you could go to the post office and have my mail forwarded somewhere. You can just do that. Like, I, and it's insane. And that's because they keep they're so thin staffed. They're you know everything is all the controls are taken away. They're tr- setting them up to fail on purpose. Oh yeah, and it's. Uh, and it's just, you know they're what keeps FedEx and UPS honest. As soon as this, yeah. you know, when this goes if away, you, <laughs> that's in this documentary. If you if you think that it's going to be easier to live your life with when you're paying for 
UPS and you're paying for, uh, first of all, they don't even want it. <laughs> like UPS, UPS and FedEx don't even want what the post office is going through. Like there's like, there are members of, the, members of the government who want so badly to get rid of the post office and privatize it, give it to private industry. And FedEx and UPS are like, fuck that. No, please don't do that. Don't. Because <laughs> then you throw on the fact that I mean, mail is also a dying, you know, it's not dying. It'll never fully go away, I don't think. But as we go into email and direct deposit and ACH and all these different things you can do, uh, the demand gets smaller and smaller, uh, but it's still there. And like you're saying to the poorest people, that they're the ones who need it the most. Uh, I don't know how private a private company, like you said, why would UPS want to do this? Oh, by the way. Do you want to know why the budget of the of the post office uh, continues to come up short every year? Because the post office is so shorthanded, they actually have to hire FedEx and UPS to come and take some of the mail for them. So, and then then somebody somebody sits in Washington and goes, sees, well, why is the budget? Why are you guys not in your budget? Because you're cut all of our people away and we're forced to hire UPS and FedEx to send the mail, you fucking assholes. <sighs> yeah, it, it's. I wasn't sure what this was about. I didn't know it was a documentary when we brought it up last week. And now, I, I mean, it sounds like one of those documentaries that'll really piss you off. And then, yeah. Also, one of those documentaries that the right will be like, well, it's a documentary. You can never trust those things. <laughs> <clears throat> but I'm uh, definitely interested. Is it available the, the right guy now? This, it's actually like very warranted documentary. Yeah. Yeah. It's available everywhere, as far as I know. And the guy who made the documentary, like I said, his dad was a you know union rep for the for the post office, and he's he's a very he's very he loves the post office, and he has a lot of really nice things to say about it. So there's a, a little bit of warmth on top of the, you know this stuff that is completely outrageous about it. Yeah, it, it's just people want to privatize everything, and they're going to be. I don't know. I'm already. Not to get us, just ignore the school talk. We can wait for that documentary to come out. (laughs) All right. Let's move on to business Charlie XCX Alone Together, the pop star. Yes, uh, Charlie XCX Alone Together is a documentary about the pop star Charlie XCX and her time. Uh, during the COVID pandemic, everybody was locked at home. A lot of people in Los Angeles weren't leaving their homes very often at all, if at all. And uh, she was, uh, you know, locked up in her in her place with her boyfriend and uh, two of her managers. And she decided that she was going to make a record while she was in quarantine. And uh, she while she while she did that, she was also you know sharing that experience with a large group of her fans via Zoom. And this is a, this movie is about you know like the pandemic and about being shuttered in all, you know, alone together, if you will. And, you know, people from different places, you know, going on social media and being together in a different way. But it's also about the, the weird sort of uh, parasocial relationship that we have with celebrities and how that, how that is changing in so many weird ways. This is a very, very soft on that idea. Like it doesn't examine that idea, the, the possibility of where that type of association can go. It's a very much a, a very, love letter to her fans if you will it's not vapid like it's not uh, you know completely uh useless or anything and i i think she's a very uh interesting interesting person uh, and she certainly carries this documentary well 
I think I'm more interested in the ideas that this movie kind of brings up and brushes over as opposed to the actual movie itself. Cause I'm not a Charlie XCX fan of Herder music. It's fine. But what I'm more interested in is, is that the way that we kind of blur the lines between you know, a celebrity's life, and their celebrity with a fan, you know, and, and here she is like letting fans write songs for her. Like she's like, she's going online, like I'm having trouble with this song. And so she calls a zoom meeting with her fans and people suggest lyrics to her. And it's like, you can just imagine a lawyer going, Oh fuck. <laughs> you know, some copyright lawyer just losing this shit, looking at that. But she's being, you know, just being cool and uh, having that moment with them, sharing them, sharing with them the song for the first time, you know, before everybody else gets to hear it. And it's, it's certainly lovely to see that, but it's not like it, in a different way, she would never invite these people to her home to do this. Like you, you know, and, and no celebrity is going to invite people into their home like this, but social media and zoom have kind of changed the way we interact. And I'm kind of fascinated by where that's going. Like, you know, when we have, when everybody has a Twitch stream and everybody has their, their live stream that they can do, their zoom meeting that they can call at some point, when does that parasocial relationship cross the line from, uh, you know, being a healthy interaction with fans to something that becomes, you know, like you know, what we saw in the eighties where, you know, a guy shows up at a TV star's house and murders her on her doorstep. Like he thought he was her girlfriend. You know, she was, she was his girlfriend. So uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm fascinated by that. And this movie kind of, again, it brushes across that very, very lightly. Cause it's again, it's a very celebratory documentary, but still it raises a few interesting questions. Yeah, I mean that's that scenario you brought up is never going to go away. <clears throat> you know, somebody you know mentally unhealthy, you know, thinking they're dating the person or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, I don't know. It's also a safer way to meet fans. Uh, it's it's a neat. It sounds interesting. I, I'm not. I I don't. I'm neither here nor there. I'm old, so it's not. You know, that's, <laughs> I'm not bad mouthing her music. I'm just I'm an old person. I'm in my forties, so she's yeah. not, I'm not her demographic. My daughter's seen her in concert, opening for Halsey, I think. Uh, and I mean, I'm interested in their ideas, and you know, the idea of I mean, being old. When you said her fans wrote her music before you even said it, right away, I'm thinking I'm going with the lawyer thing. That's <laughs> my head is. And I'm like, there must have been my some sort of bond. agreement before the Zoom meeting. There had to be something in place. <laughs> Uh, but I don't know. It, it sounds pretty cool. I mean, who wouldn't want to, you know, if, if I had a chance to, you know, be a part of Joe Perry and Steven Tyler writing songs and I could actually k- submit something to them and they used it, that would be amazing. And I wouldn't even yeah. need the credit. It would just be, I, w- I all I need to do is no, you know, it's that yeah. simple. So I, I think that's really, really cool. And, it's really and it's so young this this whole concept of where we are right now is such a it's such an early stage we really don't know like the long-term impact of this type of interaction between celebrities and fans because i mean we had nothing like this you know when in in my mom's age or even my mom because my mom was very old but (laughs) just people who grew up like around the beatles the best you could do is maybe send a letter to Apple Records and get a form letter back that had a stamp of like, like Paul 
Collins names some secretary put on it. Like that was the closest you were going to get to a celebrity. And now, you know, here these people are sitting in a Zoom, you know, with Charlie. They're just chatting with her like friends. And it's it's so different. It's just so very, very different. The cool thing is when that happens, the world shrinks. And then, I mean, I think there's a lot of good that can come out of it. Obviously, there's bad, too. Uh, people get more jaded and I, I don't know, but it's also good to not, I don't know. I think in general, their mental illness aside, it's good to, I don't think a lot of these celebrities like being on pedestals, you know, like they did back in the sixties and seventies and whether they liked it or not, they just, they were, uh, it's not healthy though. You're right. That's a good point is that it's really not healthy to be deified that way and to be so separated from the rest of the world. And, and that's actually, there's a, like, again, like, I don't think this movie is is particularly serious, but it, it shows a lovely kind of fan direction. Like, there's no negativity. This is a really wonderful, inclusive community that she seems to have built. At least, again, this is heavily edited. We don't see any right. of the negative stuff at all. But uh, but the the community that we do see is very healthy, very inclusive, very supportive of each other, and that's that's uh, you know a wonderful side of this. Yeah, absolutely. Uh... I mean, it just seems like a really cool idea, and I'm glad it exists. Anything else on Charlie XCX? Not really. It's, it's like it's mostly just for fans, you know. Or, or if you're kind of interested in the the idea of you know parasocial celebrity relationships, like certainly I find that sociological aspect of it pretty fascinating. That this is at least an introduction to that. Well, yeah, and this is totally off topic, but it's within you know the music, like. We, my son goes to a lot of concerts with me. My daughter does not. She used to, but now she doesn't like anything I like. And so now she's playing the, you know, my son's the favorite kid and she's hated. I'm like, well, I don't. One, you're, one you saw Halsey and Pink and all these other people years ago. But two, they don't come here. <laughs> you know? all, yeah. these, all these bands I like come here. And she's like, well, take me to go see Adele. I'm like, Adele's in Vegas and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> but my son's favorite band they're called ice nine kills or some metal band that makes they kind of parody horror movies they're playing vegas opening for metallica i'm still not going but i it, was, <laughs> it would have been pretty funny though <laughs> my daughter, though. <clears throat> anyway that was just a side bullshit yeah they them us the next movie we'll talk about yeah, they them us stars uh, Joey Slotnick as a uh, film professor who uh, is uh, going through a divorce. He's uh, breaking up his uh, family with his wife to uh, and his two kids, and he's uh, going out in the dating world. And he meets a, an artist played by Amy Hargraves, who has a bit of a secret. She's kind of into kink. She likes S and M, and so he's going to try. And open himself up to that. Uh, meanwhile, he's got uh, two kids, both of whom, one of whom's kind of way into drugs. The other one's kind of way into, well, why isn't anybody doing about something about my brother? Because <laughs> he's into drugs. And they're just kind of whiny and they blame their parents for all their problems because their parents are divorced and whatnot. Fine. Uh, the artist herself also has uh, two children, one of whom is uh, a non-binary person uh, who uses they, them pronouns. And based on the title, you'd think that's important, but it's not. Uh, <laughs> uh, that character is basically in existence to uh, pad out the story about you know, Joey Slotnick's character and the, how he he woke and uh, like tries to you know 
befriend uh, this person by you know getting their pronouns correct and trying to correct other people when they don't get them right, which is a nice quality to have. But here's the problem is that the Joey Slotnick character is the main character. Like he's the center of the story and he has no real arc because when we meet him, like, yes, he's gotten divorced. And he's got these two kids that he, that are, that hate him. And he's trying to build, rebuild that relationship and get back into dating. But he's pretty well open to everything. Like he's perfectly accepting of the, of the non-binary uh, person, you know, tries to do his best there. Uh, he's very caring about his kids, even if they're angry at him all the time. And when it comes to the kink stuff, he's very open to trying to figure out how to do that and get into it and start to like it. So what's the arc then? <laughs> like what is where, where he starts to where he is, is not that far. So there's not really much of any kind of story here. It's a guy who goes from being open and honest and caring to being a little more open, honest, and caring. And it's a little awkward. And it's kind of like, it plays like 50 Shades of Grey meets Full House. Like, it's just, there's stuff in here uh, that is just, it's 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 like a S&M sitcom. Like, uh, all those wacky parents who like to spank each other, and then they've got these kids. One of them's kind of a druggie. It feels like it would be a mo- very modern sitcom. Yeah, when... I mean, usually the acceptance is after the arc of the sh- the movie or show, right? And you, you here start you're off starting the place. with acceptance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like you, st- he should start from a place where he is repressed and not open, and then this woman kind of opens his eyes to a whole new world, and he begins to, you know, see his kids in a different way, and see this non-binary kid in a different way, and opens up that way. But no, he's all- everything he does, he's already very open to. Is it just supposed to be played for last because he's kind of dorky looking and putting a dorky looking guy into, you know, woke culture, woke, woke culture mixed with this S&M bullshit is funny? Is that kind of what they're going for? I, I wish that was what they're going for. Maybe that's <laughs> what they're going for, but the movie's not very funny. There's some, you know, some awkward kind of modern family style laughs that are supposed to come from the situations. Like when he starts... Using, he starts talking about being a, a dom. He he works as a pr- college professor, a film professor at a Christian college. And so he starts talking about uh, being a dom. But when he refers to a dom, he says he's referring to God. So instead of saying dom, he starts saying God. So the kids won't know that he's talking about it. But he's, he feels this need to talk about you know dominating, uh, sexual dominance. But he's doing so like saying, well, you, these things are about the Lord and not about that. And that's supposed to be funny, but it ne- it's never really funny. <laughs> and there's no laugh that come from this. Just it's very awkward, and like no human being would do that. There isn't a human being on the planet that would act like that, and that makes it just completely unfunny, um, and just kind of awkward and cringy more than anything. I mean, if you were to seriously do Full House meets Fifty Shades of Grey and like really do it right, that'd be amazing. <laughs> That'd be hilarious. It'd be fun. <laughs> uh, it'd be anything but <laughs> boring. Exactly. Uh, that's a shame. Yeah, I mean, because there's a lot of there's a lot of rich, you know, opportunities here that the movie just doesn't take. All right, let's move on to Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes. Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes is one of my favorite things I've seen in a long time. This is a movie about a a guy who owns a coffee shop who 
closes up for the night. Uh, he's going up to his apartment, which is above his coffee shop. He walks into his apartment. He's there for a couple of minutes and suddenly his face pops up on his computer and <laughs> it's him from two minutes in the future. And he tells him like, Oh, that thing you're looking for your guitar pick. It's under the carpet there. Look, there it is. And then he says, okay, now you need to come down here and tell yourself about what I just told you. <laughs> so then he runs downstairs and he talks to himself two minutes in the past. And this loop continues and he continues to find in very fun ways to kind of build this up. So like one of his buddies arrives, he's got his uh, person who works at the coffee shop with him there. They're both confused and fascinated by what's happening. So he tells them about it. And they start joining him when they're, They'll go up the stairs and they'll talk to each other in the future, in the past, and then bring it. That it all just keeps spinning and spinning and spinning, and all of it is in a single take. So the camera is constantly following this action. Is we're in essentially we're following the in the moment people, like the the present, (laughs) and then we see both the present and the past and the future. (laughs) And I'm not sure if it all adds up, but I don't care because this movie is so much fun. Like at this premise, you wouldn't figure they would have a way to continuously up the ante, but they do. And they continuously up the ante with this outlandish ideas that just keep working and they keep working and it gets getting funnier and funnier. And I was just having a ball with this movie. It's almost, I mean, in a lot of ways, it's what speed was to action movies. This is a comedy. I mean, it starts and it just goes and you're, you, I mean, from the second it starts, this you're in this movie, like you're, you're knee deep. You you can't get out. And, <laughs> and before you know it it's over uh but i mean it doesn't feel short doesn't feel long it just kind of it's it's one of those movies that grabs you and all you do all you do is experience it you're not really watching anything you're just experiencing the movie because it's so it's <laughs> just so clever uh, really they could have gone anywhere they could have gone from the most fucked up thing in the world i mean you could anything they could have done would have almost worked i mean you almost made you know, a movie you can't screw up. I mean, it really was that <laughs> such, such such a clever premise that it didn't matter where you went, and you just experienced the premise and what goes on, and it, it was just really, really clever and really, really fun, and just one of the best time travel movies I've ever seen. Uh, and it's such a weird time travel movie. It's the most original. <laughs> I mean, it's so original. The idea of yeah. what it is. Uh, and relatable. Uh, I mean, we would all at one point at least think what they where they go with it, and it's just I don't know. It was a lot of fun, and it's so clever, like and and amazing that they did that in a, essentially a single take. I mean, I'm not sure how many edits. I'm sure there is an edit somewhere in the movie, but they the way they make it feel so seamless with the camera just constantly following these characters or around this building set that they have that is just, it's so brilliant. <laughs> the, the choices that he makes are just so smart. And it literally does feel like they did this in real time, which I, again, I can't say that's for sure. I, I wasn't counting to make sure everything was two minutes before somebody else walked in, but like I felt like I could with a stopwatch just kind of watch this movie and see if it was every every two minutes this is changing to something else because you know, it is just it's ahead. so much fun. You, that would almost have to be in your second or third viewing because you when it starts you don't have I mean 
you you don't even think about the one take again. You know that that just leaves your head till you're done with the movie. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. It, it flows together so seamless. Everything about it is seamless and clever, and uh, I highly recommend anybody go watch this. I mean, it is a uh, foreign film, so you got to read it, but uh, it's so worth it. it, it I mean, it, it's an easy one to digest. It really is because, like I said, you're in it as soon as it starts, and it's you're not getting out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we do so many bad American remakes. I think maybe a good director could do this one some justice. They could try to pull this off in the same way. They'd probably fuck it up. But, you know, this is the kind of movie because it's based solely like really the success of this movie isn't even the gimmick. It's for me, that cast is just having so much fun doing this. The excitement on their faces, they're making these new little discoveries. And what was out how we can see a little bit further into the future so we can take advantage of it <laughs> and it's like okay we're eight minutes ahead now we're 10 now look <laughs> yeah it's just the guys are just having a ball doing this and they come up with these just ingenious set pieces where they're like talking to a guy who's in the past to tell him what he needs to in the future to do what he's about to do <laughs> Yeah. Again, I don't know if it all really adds up, but it feels like it adds up, and that's really what matters. And then it's just the energy and excitement because it feels like they're coming up with this on the fly. It really feels like they're experiencing this as it happens, which is so cool. You'd never get a chance to question anything, you know, yeah. because the movie just goes. <laughs> this is one of those movies, too, that I don't want to remake. I don't even care. It'd probably be good, you know. Let Me In's good. The David Fincher uh, Dragon Tattoo movie's good, but they don't need to exist because you know, those other movies are so fantastic. There's no sense in redoing them. This is in the same boat. It, it This is digestible enough that anybody could watch it and really, quite frankly, expand their horizon a little bit. It's a good one. To, <laughs> this is a great entry-level movie for something like that. Uh, True. But I, I just... I. I all I could think of, of was I Josh needs to see this movie, and I. <laughs> this is the only time I really not. I'm I, I wish Josh was on the podcast for this. For this is the type of thing he would love, and I yeah. don't know that he'll get a chance to ever really truly watch this because he's not on it anymore, and so <laughs> it's hard to make the time for it. Uh, yeah. But oh god, and it's what is it an hour and ten minutes something like that? It's yeah seventy minutes. It's a breeze, but yeah. Uh, again, the experience is so great that you don't you lose track of time, so you don't know if it's long or short. It's that that neat. Yeah, it's a great year. It's a great year for foreign films so far. I'm really I'm loving these foreign movies that we're getting. So clever, so original, just great. Uh, so this we need to talk about Cosby is on Showtime now. Yes, so we need to talk about Cosby as a four-hour documentary by director and comedian W. Kamau Bell, and it's about uh, reckoning with the legacy of Bill Cosby, who, uh, for a lot of people, myself included, uh, your childhood kind of revolved around him. He, we were talking about parasocial relationships before. In a way, he was the really the first celebrity who really created like a, a serious parasocial relationship with with the world or with the with the United States, you know, with, with the way he was just involved in the lives of so many people from the 1960s through the 1980s, even into the early 90s, he was a part of your life. 
uh, as a kid, I'm a little older than you. I watched Fat Albert. I watched Picture Pages. I saw him on reruns of The Electric Company. So I was introduced to him at a very young age. And then Cosby Show arrived when I was eight years old. It was on until I was uh, 18, 20 years old. Like it was lasted forever during that time frame. And so, again, and with having an absent father as I did, I watched the Cosby show a lot <laughs> looking for you know that kind of connection. So I felt that kind of connection with Bill. And then I saw Bill Cosby himself and, and, and being a, a comedy nerd and you know watching a lot of comedy, as much as I loved George Carlin and Bill Hicks and those are the things that I loved and listened to a lot, if I was going to quote something, it was going to be Bill Cosby himself. I quoted that constantly. My buddy Mikey and I still, if we get together – one of us is going to throw out a reference to himself, but now it's different. It's it's <laughs> rueful and sad as opposed to being funny, uh, <laughs> because all the time that that we were bonding with him and he was forging a bond with people from childhood to adulthood, he was using his the trust that he built up to trick women into taking a drink and then having sex with him while they're unconscious. And you're trying to reckon those two things. You know, here's this person who met, I mean, granted, he may never have intended to have this connection with you specifically, obviously, but it did. It existed. That relationship, especially, you know, if you're, especially with W. Kamal Bell and the black community, this was the model of success in the 80s. You know, when you looked at success, you maybe saw Michael Jackson and then you saw Bill Cosby. And that was your model for what, you know, striving was. And so to have that all ripped away by finding out what he did, it it's heartbreaking. And now we're just kind of reckoning with what that was. And that's what this series is about, is about you know, trying to come to terms with that, how this thing meant so much to so many people for so long. This person and his persona meant so much to so many people for so long and how it has a completely different meaning now. Yeah, I'm only one and a half episodes in. Uh, but it's, and like you said, you're a little bit, I, I saw picture pages in Fat Albert and the Kaiser show, but, but I mean, sadly, my TV dads were Reginald Vell Johnson and uh, Bob Saget. So yeah. <laughs> those were my shows. Uh, and it's, but at the same time, you know, he was kind of what, you know, like, I guess the Beatles, a comedy, you know, everybody, everything kind of came out of him, you know, I, all the greats go back and reference Cosby, uh, and and it's and maybe not the Beatles, but whatever it is, he just he was the umbrella over a lot of you know the influence of a lot of great comedians after him, and mm-hmm. so you know I had some of his records. I didn't necessarily listen to him, but I would go to thrift shops and buy him and whatever. And the weird part is, and I remember like. Eddie Murphy and Richard Pryor and talking about how Bill Cosby would come to them and yell at them for saying bad words. I even have a, yeah. I remember Bill Cosby approached Ozzy Osbourne on an airplane and said his TV show was terrible because they were saying swear words too much. And this was like 15 years ago or whatever when they had their reality show and Sharon Osbourne, she said this in an interview. That's how I heard it. Said, well, you were drugging women, so you're not gonna you're not gonna talk to us about that. So that was kind of when I started here. I don't know if that was real or not. Uh, you uh-huh. know, I mean, I don't. I know that 
I saw that. So I, I've heard these rumors before, but I didn't know they were real at the time or what they were. And then all it took was one comedian, Hannibal Burris, to make a joke, and it just seemed to get legs, which was weird. Because we'd all, I'm, I, had you heard it at all before it got I, legs? Vaguely, like there's a bit in the documentary where they talk about 2005 when he was first confronted and and charges were made, but it, it was very underpublicized at that time. There, you know, there was not a lot of attention paid to it. It made a couple column inches here and there, but it didn't really. It got no traction whatsoever until Hannibal did what he did, which is you know, even he doesn't want to talk about it anymore. No. You know, he's he does not talk about this at all. He's not in the documentary. He's he's in the documentary because they talk about him being the impetus for this, but he himself does not sit down for an interview to talk about this. Cause he doesn't want this to be, you know, Hannibal Burris's legacy he ruined Bill Cosby. It uh, is. But what I mean, I'm only episode and a half in, but like he spends a lot of time with the women that want to talk about it and they yeah. tell their story and there's no, I mean, I'm sure they edit it to make it, but it, it's not much. You know, it, it's it's pretty unfiltered, and it's it's pretty much hard. a camera pointed at these women telling the same story in separate places, and it's the same story every time. Bill hands me a drink, I take a drink, I wake up hours later naked in his bed, and he's telling me to, that I need to leave. And you over just- and over and over again. And then you see all the signs throughout his entire career where he was talking about doing it, you know, not, you know, hinting at it or whatever. And it's from day one up until recently. And it's it's there's a big bit in the documentary about uh, Spanish fly. Right. uh, That is a real thing. Spanish fly. They even talked to a, a expert in chemicals about what Spanish fly was. Uh, and Bill had a big, long thing on one of his records as a long, lengthy bit about Spanish Fly. But even when you get to the Cosby show, he made this uh, type of barbecue sauce where he had some sort of special ingredient. And what you're looking at are his kids and their wives kind of cuddling up to each other and falling in love again because they had Bill's magic barbecue sauce. And it's like, good God, he wasn't fucking hiding it at all. Yeah, it, it was, and which just adds another layer to it. It's, I don't know. I'm looking. For, I'm not looking forward to it, but I'm interested in watching the rest of it because uh, I literally paused episode two to do the podcast right now. So I'm, you know, it's fascinating in all the wrong ways. Yeah, uh, and it's just a shame because, I mean, you don't want anybody to be like this ever. <laughs> you know, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, it, one thing they address early on, and I don't know if they stay with it, is just kind of how the times of when he started doing this is it, it was almost accepted, you know. Yeah. And that alone is just kind of there's a whole thing with Barbara Walters where she dressed up as a Playboy bunny as a waitress, and yeah. it, was, it, it is just so cringeworthy to watch. Which I hate using that word because that's what my kids would say. Uh, but uh, watching the look on her face, watching the anchor who's working with her, the way he talks to her is just like, oh my god! I'm so glad yeah, we it's, don't it's talk Hugh, like that anymore. Hugh Downs, who who remains, you know, that's that's uh, 
nearly 30 more years of his career ahead of that after that right he was still in the news and here he is in you know the 19, early 1970s talking about how great marvel looks in that bunny costume i like looking at you in that bunny costume that is the banter they're doing on a news show and, and it's not just like a throwaway comment <sighs> i mean it, it I mean, they Superman is no there. joke <laughs> right they <laughs> hang out there and talk i mean it, it just is awkward and the look on her face is, you know, I mean, she came from an era where you had to accept that, but it, it was yeah. just, I don't know. I'm glad, and not and that we're wanted, perfect, but if anybody, but if anybody wants to talk about, you know, that, uh, you know, you want to question these women and why they didn't come forward before. That's why they were in an era where you didn't have anybody to tell this to. If you took that. What happened to you to a police department in that day and age in 1968, 1971, and said some guy drugged you and raped you? They go, yeah, right. <laughs> quaaludes were everywhere. People were taking quaaludes for everything. <laughs> and, and women would willingly take quaaludes. Like there's a woman who tells a story about how Bill had some quaaludes. Oh, oh great. Took one. Like you're just trusting back that you're there with this guy. Like that's the that's the insidious part of it is, is that he he used being Bill Cosby and the and the relationship that he created with the world as cover to do this because a woman would, would see well this is Bill Cosby I can go to Bill Cosby's dressing room and nothing's going to happen you know it's no big deal it's Bill Cosby what have I got to worry about and he used that against them he used his own persona that he created against them and that's what makes us so gross and insidious and you know. And again, it all leads leads me back to Louis C.K., who you know may not have hidden what he was doing, but certainly there was an element of that too. Where Louis C.K., he's an icon, he's a you know he's an influencer, he's somebody who is going to help my career. I can go see him in his dressing room. Oh, by the way, there he is yanking his crank in front of me. Great, right? And there, well, there's also this uh, narcissism. I think that's the right word that needs absolutely that you know. I think like Louis C.K. puts it on himself. I, I am an influencer and they need, you know, and I think Cosby clearly did. Uh, the Entitlement. T- they go into that yeah. a lot. Uh, and then, you know, back to what you were saying about them crusting him, then they'll wake up naked and then be embarrassed that they embarrassed themselves in front of, you know, a celebrity. They think they got yeah. too drunk and they messed up and not knowing they were drugged. And I don't know. It's, I can't imagine, you know, what they had to go through. And it really, it's, I know I'm going off on a tangent a bit here, but they, I can just remember like in the nineties, there would be the Bill Clinton culture was so fucked up. When you look, when you're really boiled down to it now, when you look back on it, like there was a comedian who used to do a joke about how women across the country should get down on their knees and thank Bill Clinton for what he did for women. Mm-hmm. It's like, Jesus fucking Christ. Like <laughs> what were, what, this is the culture that we, we we've come up with. Like that's supposed to be funny to people. And you look at it now, that's severely fucked up. Right. No, it, it's, you just watch it. How the woman's movement never really takes off. You know, you have this whole civil rights thing going on, you know, pushing women down in the middle of it. You know, and it just, it's even to today, uh, it's, it, it keeps popping back up and there's, you know, comedians to go get up on stage. Even now women need to shut up there. You know, it's, 
and it, they're they're the reason for cancel culture and this and that. And it's on both sides. It, it's it it's ridiculous that, that part of you know there is still people trying to hold women down more. It, it, it not I'm not saying they have it worse than everybody else, but there definitely seems to be a just kind of a a throwaway thought when it comes to that movement and not really taking it serious because there's white women involved. Uh, I don't know. It's not really what this documentary is about, but it does, you know, especially during that Playboy era, how important Hugh Hefner was the civil rights movement. Not necessarily the best to women. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Not that he was drugging them, but... uh, yeah. I mean, we don't know. <laughs> there's, yeah, there's some there's stuff no. coming out now. We. <laughs> I know. Yeah. yeah. He's one person. I He was not my TV dad, Hugh Hefner. <laughs> 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 All right. Let's talk about Sundance. Slam Dance is actually where oh, I was. Slam Dance. Never mind. <laughs> I misread that. So we, Slam Dance. Let's talk about Slam Dance. Everybody on YouTube, pretend you're not looking at this. <laughs> I was doing some virtual coverage of the Slam Dance Film Festival this week. I saw a couple of pretty interesting movies. Uh, one of them is called Paris is in Harlem. And this is the story of one night in Harlem in 2017 when New York lifted the ban on dancing in nightclubs. Did you know that New York had a law against dancing in nightclubs? No. <laughs> They did until 2017 when it was finally revoked. And the reason they had this law was not because they were bust actually busting any nightclubs, but because they were busting black-owned jazz clubs in Harlem. That was the reason they had it. It was a fully, completely racist law that they put in place to punish black business owners in Harlem. Uh, and, and cops would patrol there and go into bars uh, where black people were, and they'd see if they saw anybody start to dance, citation, citation, over and over again. Uh, there's this uh, brilliant jazz club there called uh, Paris Blues in Harlem, and that's kind of the central point of this movie. Uh, but it's really, and I, I know you're going to hate this, but it's kind of a crash sort of scenario where there's a lot of connected stories going <laughs> about, uh, you know, there's a college professor who's uh, in trouble because he said the N-word in class, but he was talking about Spike Lee, so he's very upset. I mean, how can I talk about Spike Lee and not say the N-word? Like, uh, so he's in trouble and his story is kind of happening. And then there's a female teacher who herself is being fired from her job, even though she was the one of the people who came up with Title IX. Like, she, how can you hold this against me? I came up with Title IX. Like, this is part of what I fought for. And she's being accused of having sexually harassed a, a male student. Uh, and so that's happening. It's all coming together at this jazz club that night where there's apparently going to be a shooting. But uh, that is something that happens, but you'll have to see the movie to see how it plays out. Uh, the movie has this style of, uh, if you've ever seen the movie Time Code with Mike Figgis, uh, the, these interlocking things where there's multiple oh, things yeah. happening on the screen at the same time. And and I, I, I do enjoy the style, and it's a, it got a like, very kinetic vibe. It's, the soundtrack is really fantastic. The characters are really interesting, and it's not necessarily one of those movies where everything is connected. <laughs> it's not Crash. It's not up right. its own ass that way, but it is a, it is similarly a lot of characters, a lot of interlocking stories that end up in one spot at the end. And I'm, I'm not anti those movies. It's just that sometimes you know, they're hard to pull off. And uh, I think you can see the, the cracks in the plot usually if you're not doing it right. And so uh, really like a movie like beyond the infinite two minutes, 
pulls me in so far that I could, I, if it was like that, I would never notice, you know, it's yeah. so well done. That's something that those movies aren't as easy to pull off. Uh, but I mean, maybe this one does. <laughs> I think it does. I think it's a good movie and I do, I do want people to see it. I think it's really good. Uh, another movie that I saw is a really interesting uh, character study sort of comedy. It's called Retrograde, and it's about a woman who she's helping this friend move into it. They're moving into a, a house together, and she's helping her move in. And on the way there to take her stuff over to their new house, she gets pulled over by a police officer, and <laughs> she gets a $300 ticket because she was trying to merge in in front of the cop, and the cop wasn't letting her in, and then she kind of then when she did get in in front of the cop, the cop turned on the lights, pulled her over and gave her a citation for uh, re- reckless driving. And she's like, well, no, you waved me in. And the cop's like, no, I didn't. <laughs> and so you think that's just going to be an incident in the movie. But in fact, that's the movie. That's what this movie becomes about is <laughs> for 80 minutes. It's just this woman obsessing over the fact that, no, he waved me in. I don't have to pay for this. I'm going to take this to court. I'm going to get a lawyer. I'm going to fight this no matter what happens. She gets the fine reduced to $50. And all she has to say is all she has to do is sign a thing saying she's guilty and move on. And she won't do it. She's so obsessed with the idea that she's right about this, that she ends up just she's ruining her job. She's ruining her friendships. And I was reminded of this incredible bit that Mike Birbiglia does in one of his recent comedy uh, comedy hours that where he was talking about an accident that, that he was in that wasn't his fault and it just kind of consumed his life. It's a very funny bit. This takes that idea and expands it out to a full-length movie and I, you wouldn't think you'd be able to do it but this is so skillful and so cleverly acted and it keeps coming up with new ways to exploit this idea and this character that you're just kind of you become fascinated. Like, how are you going to keep this idea alive for this long? It's an 80 minute movie. And they managed to keep that idea going throughout the entire thing and give you a satisfying conclusion. Uh, it's, and it doesn't turn into a horror movie. It doesn't turn into like, she's a crazy person. It's just this one singular obsession that she has that, that lasts the entire movie. And it's, it's fascinating. I was really impressed that they could make a store make an entire movie out of that. Cause I mean, you'd think that's the ultimate, you know, quarter painted into that you're not going to be able to get out, get out of. And yet they they find ways to keep taking away at that idea. I mean, sometimes something that simple works. Uh, I mean, it sounds interesting. It reminds me of my cousin Vinny, how he became a lawyer, was getting a cop on the stand <laughs> and arguing till the cop admitted he was wrong. <laughs> uh do you see anything else at Slam Dance? Uh, that's all that I, that's really worth talking about. All right. Coincidentally, 50 years ago today, <laughs> uh, Clockwork Orange <laughs> was released. You had no idea when you picked this. <laughs> no. Uh, we were just this literally playing actual- Flick Chart, and it was just like, you know, we always talk about doing a Clockwork Orange, and you're just like, yeah. We got nothing else. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> and it just happens to be the 50th anniversary of the release. <laughs> it's like we planned it. Uh, a Glockwork Orange, of course, uh, 1972 Stanley Kubrick uh, starring Malcolm McDowell as Alex, who is the leader of a gang that he calls the Droogs. Uh, he, or he, I guess his friends, or he calls his friends the Droogs. He's not a Droog, I guess. I'm not sure. This is Nat set Natsep this 
dialogue that he has where he kind of uses words in a very rhythmic, musical, different sort of way that you can pick up like contextually. You can understand what he's saying. It's just very, very different. Um, Alex is a pure evil. He's a sociopath. He's out to harm people, take things, uh, and just generally, you know, enrich himself and have uh, through uh, violence, rape, and Beethoven. And how you react to this movie is all about you. Kubrick presents all this completely unobjectively. Like, he doesn't have an objective point of view on anything that he's presenting. <laughs> like, I don't, I really don't think there's any, any kind of commentary on his part whatsoever. And I know that's a controversial opinion. I know some people can disagree. Like, he's saying something about state sponsored violence or he's saying something about, you know, the way the culture uh, builds violence into your head and forces you into a violent place or whatever. No, I think I honestly believe that Kubrick is presenting all of these images, forcing you to look at them and come up with your own interpretation of it. And there are many different ways to interpret this on a visual level. I think it's spectacular. Like it's a, it's an amazing looking movie. Uh, It's also a very empty uh, in terms of like, it has no morality. It has no lessons to learn. You don't, you're not coming away from this with anything to take home with you, unless you really want to come up with your own thing. And one of, one of the things that the ideas that I've been pursuing, trying to find something in this movie that makes it valuable. I'm starting to wonder if maybe this is about the monstrosity of men towards women. And I know I said that Kubrick doesn't have a point of view and I don't think this, and that's the hard part is I don't think he intended this. I think it's just a function of where my mind went. The first thing you see in this movie is Alex's eye. You pull back and you see these tables made of female bodies, like these, these castings of female bodies, naked, uh, breasts pointed to the sky, their legs and arms used as the table legs. And there's there are numerous different variations of that thing. The vagina is painted specifically in a very garish, bright color. I think this is, for me, this is about the way that men treat women as sort of functionary to their needs, functionary to what they want of them. Uh, you know, whether it's sexually, whether it's just in life in general, you want a woman to serve you and be a function in your life as opposed to, you know, their own life. Uh, and that that theme seems to, to play out. Uh, there's another aspect of this movie where uh, there's a sex scene that is actually not a rape where Alex meets two women in a record store. He takes them back to his apartment for an orgy. And then we don't see the orgy. We see this speeded up version, like the camera is you know, running at five times the regular speed and they're running around the room. And it's basically comical in this one static shot while all this is happening. And you're seeing nudity and you're seeing sex, but there's no eroticism to it. There's nothing sexy about this sex scene. Whereas the, the more violent sex scenes, he lingers in that moment. He, doesn't make them erotic unless you're kind of weird, but it it is presented in a way where, where the character of the Droog's characters, maybe see this as sexy or erotic, you're turning them on and kind of daring you to be turned on by it. Uh, again, if there's something wrong with you, but he lingers on that, that he lingers on. And that again is another idea, perhaps that this is another, that this is a movie about 
men using women for what they want and taking what they want from women. So maybe there's something to be said about that. That said, I can't say that that's what Kubrick intended. That's what I'm getting from it. But I can't say that's what he intended with this because I honestly have no idea what Kubrick gets out of presenting any of this. I, yeah, I mean, for me, uh, where I'm getting is more, like, I agree with what you're saying, but I kind of even take it a step further, and it's just having power over somebody else. Everybody in this movie is horrible. I mean, there's nobody that's good in this movie outside of the victims, and even some of the victims turn out to be bad later on. Uh, I think his intention is that, he likes the the character like he's fascinated by the idea of what this character is specifically alex uh but all of them i i think he's just he's so interested in the character he's just following it you know he's just making a movie about it i don't know that i i agree with you i don't think he has a point uh i think he himself is a little obsessed with power uh and I've heard other people theorize that as well. He's almost making a movie about himself, only obviously more. This is heightened. Uh, yeah. But you've heard stories of the way he treats his actors. And, you know, Malcolm Adele's got his own stories. Obviously, uh, Shelley Duvall from The Shining has stories. Uh, at the same time, it's just like arguably his most beautiful movie. I mean, artistically, you could make that argument. I get why people fall in love with this thing. I, I mean, yeah. I don't, you know, I don't think the audience that likes this is the audience that's like cheering for, you know, I spit on your grave or whatever that Roger Ebert saw. That, that's not what I, this movie is. Right. Uh, it really just, in the end, It. I mean, this comes back to our Batman or Dark Knight argument where I think Joker, the people would have blown up the ships and you think they wouldn't have. And it's like, I immediately go dark. You immediately go light. Nothing wrong with either one of that. You know, we, either one of us could have been right in the movie. You were right. Uh, in this it's, they definitely all go dark and you know, every step of the way uh, from the, the politicians are horrible. I mean, just, and and it's you know there's nothing worse than rape and murder and pedophilia and all that stuff now that pedophilia is not in this but to the book yeah but the book's impossible to read (laughs) (laughs) at least when you're reading watching them say these words that yeah (laughs) you can get context around it you gotta read the book like 15 (laughs) times to learn the language to and it even ends differently or something like that or yeah uh, he grows up and he's fine, uh, which is makes absolutely no. Is that how it ends? If I'm not, I think that's I, how. I don't. Remember, I've never read the book. I've just only heard other people talk about. I think the book was supposed book. to be. It was supposed. You know what? You know what the, the best correlative for this movie? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it, this is this reminds me in a weird way of Wolf of Wall Street, where there are no good characters, where you you don't have a rooting interest, and everybody's terrible, and he's just sort of handing it to you and going here you go <laughs> it's like fuck what the fuck am i supposed to watch here what am i supposed to root for here what am i supposed to be what am i supposed to take away from this and 
I honestly don't know what to take away from this. I certainly didn't know what to take away from Wolf of Wall Street other than I didn't enjoy that experience. And, you know, similarly, I didn't necessarily enjoy this experience. I think there, like I said, I kind of enjoyed exploring the idea that maybe there was something there about about that. But, I mean, when you get to the prison and the, and the Ludovico technique, uh, that kind of stuff goes out the window and it becomes something else. Like, there's nothing really necessarily about women there other than i guess they use a woman as a functionary to show that he can't have sex anymore after he's been treated treated um there's i was toying with an idea about this when it came to the ludovico thing about how kubrick was seemingly kind of wrong about the way we experience violence like the idea that you can show somebody a series of violent images and it would cause them to be against violence incapable of violence when in fact the matter is you know since then, I mean, people watch faces of death videos in my when I was a kid, like, you know, with actual death. And we're all just kind of it served up as entertainment. And we didn't we weren't a ner- We weren't against violence because of it. We just did. We maybe we didn't do violence because of it. But it, it was just sort of we're so inured to the idea of it that it just doesn't impact us unless you actually see violence in front of you like you see blood directly in front of you you're going to react to it in some way but when you're watching it on a screen blood is pretty well fucking meaningless at this point well and i think the point of it in the movie is more it's not that watching it makes you you know sick uh it's the fact that they're putting him in a super uncomfortable scenario for hours and hours at a time and ultimately torturing him right, while associ- he's watching it. So now he's associated. The association of that with, yeah, I, I right. get that. But yeah. I mean, for me, it's more about, you know, instead of the women, I, like when he goes to prison, now the balance of power shifts and you watch the people that are in power there are equally as bad as he is, at least mentally. They're not raping and killing, but what they're doing, they're going to get away with, you know, and that's what drives me nuts more so about this than like a Wolf of Wall Street. One, I don't think Wolf, Wolf of Wall Street looks as good. I don't True. think many movies look as good as this, sadly, which is weird. Uh, but I, I'm more annoyed at you know, because he got caught. You know, he he would have gone to jail forever or for a very long time, and his family turned on him, and you know, his life was no longer going to be that. These yeah. politicians are doing horrible, bad things on the side. You know, even the Wolf of Wall Street characters, they essentially got away with it in the end. You know, like the lead act, the character from that movie is still around doing bullshit. He consulted on the movie. Right. I mean, it, you know, so I'm more like that frustrates me even more because there's no accountability for that end of things. And so I really yeah. did gravitate to that part of the movie when they started, when the balance of power shifted and now he was a victim. I didn't feel bad for him. I just hated those guys too. And almost to a more a greater extent, only because they were going to get away with it. You know, yeah. when those, when the politician comes to him at the very end and he's in the bed and they're, you know, they're saying, here's what you're going to do. And, it, it, it just, I just want to reach to the screen and, you know, rip the guy's throat out. It just, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, and I, I don't know. I, I, I was more fascinated by the movie. It's not an easy movie to watch. It's long. It, it is. There is a homework element to it. Uh, but it's also just so. 
you know, again, it's if you're into this kind of imagery, every frame you can put on your wall. I don't know why you'd want to put some of them on your wall, but you know, those rape scenes were very artistically shot. You know, I don't, yeah. you know, and that it's just a weird. It's something that it's just something you got to deal with if you want to watch it. And then the scene you were talking about where they fast forward it, there's nothing sexual about it. It's it's a neat idea. Uh, I, I like the way it was shot. It was really cool, but it was very real and just okay. There was no power, so we fast forwarded through the you know of what was going on. I, I, also, there's there, there's an element there too of, of trivializing you know sex that has sexual you know consent right. versus versus you know lingering on the rape. Like again, it's a to me that seems to be about about how he thinks of women like the it's not as exciting for him when they say yes oh for sure but i i think it's i think piggybacking off that it's the power element of it that kubrick's really into at least that's yeah. my opinion because it just he, there's so much power like that's the focal point of every act in this movie is you know the corruption of the person who has the control and I don't think he's saying anything necessary about it. I just think he's fascinated with that idea and he's fascinated by characters yeah. uh, and just made a movie about him with no real, without saying anything, just kind of exploring his fascinations, which again, I, I probably, I think this is the fourth time I've seen it. And this is probably the time I understand it the most, I think, I hope. Yeah. Uh, but it's that deep, deeply cynical idea that like oh, yeah. uh, that everybody's bad and everybody's enacting something on somebody else at all times, and it's always about you know, getting yourself over the other person and being the dominant one in any room you're in. I mean, I don't think that's entirely what it is. I think that's simplifying it, but I, I think it's that those that follow power tend to be like that, or not tend to be like that, but that that is something that comes with power, you know. We look at politicians today, and it's you know it's easy to say both sides are messed up, and to an agree, to an extent, I agree with that, and it drives me nuts. You know, uh, a lot of these people, you know, career politicians that we're holding up on a pedestal, like they'll change the game, and it's like, oh, this guy's been there forever; he hasn't done shit. So why do we think <laughs> Bernie Sanders is the answer? Uh, yeah. yeah. So I, I don't know. It's just kind of where i went with it and it wasn't like every character was it's just the power part of it i i, I really think he has uh fascination with that because he's he was very powerful when it came to movies i am fascinated by by the idea about how this is about really the monstrosity of men you really throughout it is men who are exerting power in that way Absolutely. and women are are always either the subject of it or functional to what the man wants in some way. And, Absolutely. and there, there's certainly something to the idea that, that uh, I'm not saying that Kubrick has that opinion of women. I'm not saying that at all. Cause I don't know what Kubrick's opinion of women is. Uh, obviously he's been accused many times of being a bully towards women. Uh, but I think there is an idea here that, that you could interpret this as a movie that is about the monstrosity of men and the, the, what drives a man to be so monstrous and, and the way they, tr the way that you treat a woman in this movie is indicative of that monstrosity that uh, so many men carry. Oh, absolutely. I think that's the best. I think what you're saying there makes way more sense to me is the more the monstrosity of the men, especially the men seeking power. It's, 
yeah, I, I don't know. I, it's I think Wolf of Wall Street's a somewhat fair comparison. I just I'm more. It, I think I'm making that comparison only because I think both directors are come off as very ambivalent about what they're presenting. Absolutely. No, I agree with you completely. I just, uh, it, this is just so out on the artistic spectrum that Wolf of Wall Street isn't. That's the main thing that this one has that prevents me from saying it sucks or from saying I don't yeah. like it. You know, it's so good at that part of it that it makes it more conflicting for me or and i just yeah i don't know if i like i don't know if i would would tell people to watch this at the same time i would i wouldn't mind if somebody watched it so we could talk about these ideas because i like i like the conversations that it inspires at the same time i would feel bad if i showed this to somebody who came away from this you know not having that not like just seeing this as so as being so ugly and monstrous as it is like there are a lot of people who could watch this in the in in a way that could be very traumatizing and i understand that yeah and that's part of why it took so long for us to finally talk about it <laughs> we've in a lot of ways been avoiding it yeah uh, i don't want to say the train thing about trigger warnings but certainly this is a movie that you know being that it has so much about violence and, and rape and, and sex, uh, that, that it does definitely, if you're somebody who's been through that, this can be very oh. triggering and very hard to watch. Absolutely. Anything else on A Clockwork Orange before we move on? Not really. All right. Uh, 1992, we had... Uh, Hurricane Smith, Into the Sun, Shining Through, and Voyager. Did you spend I've, any time with any of those? I didn't watch any of them. I know I've seen Shining Through, uh, which I believe is Michael Douglas and Melanie Griffith. Uh, I think it's a World War II spy movie, I think. I'm remembering the right movie. Uh, I might not be, <laughs> but I think that's what it was. And I didn't think it was very good when I saw it, and I still don't think it's very good today. Nice. Let's see here. All right. Uh, next week. Sorry, my daughter's trying to get me to pick her up because she doesn't want to be where she's at anymore. Well, she should have thought about that before she left. All right. Next week, we got Pam. <laughs> I just watched watch the Clockwork Orange, and I'm the powerful one in our you know, dynamic, family dynamic, so I'm bullying her a little bit, and she's going to have to wait it out. <laughs> Thank you, Kubrick. Uh, next week we got Jackass Forever and Moon Follows the big movies uh, we also will talk about Pam and Tommy the sh- it's a t- eight episode show from the director of I, Tanya, Seth Rogen behind it uh, Pam and Tommy uh, what else do we got Poly- we're not going to talk about all these movies but these are all the options uh, Polystrine I am a cliche Styrene. Styrene? Okay. yeah who are you? It's a documentary. People? Who are you people? The worst person in the world. Airdal, Breaking Bread, Last Survivors, The Long Night, The Wolf and the Lion, The Black Phone, Imminence, The Other Me. Our classic is going to be Capricorn One uh, to go along with Moonfall. And in 1992, Mississippi Masala, Final Analysis, and Medicine Man all came out. Uh, I'm eager to kind of wa- I'm kind of eager to watch Medicine Man just because I have such distinct memories of that of that Sean P- Sean Connery ponytail. 
Have fun. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's move over for a little bit of flick chart, and then I'll go pick my daughter up. She just broke up with her boyfriend. That's why I think she wants to leave, oh, if I'm being honest with you. That's sad. Yeah, she did all of it, though. He didn't want to. And he was a good kid, too. I feel, wor- I feel bad for him. <laughs> anyway, as I air all that, Cheryl, but nobody who cares. Uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, or American Beauty? Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. That's so fucking hard for me. I hate American Beauty. I loved it for so long, though. That's yeah. I get it. And yeah. I'll just go with you. I'm not gonna. (laughs) Big Big Hero Six. Thank you for smoking. Admittedly, it's not it's not entirely fair for you on that one. So I understand. If if Uh, Kevin Spacey wasn't a total creep, I would have taken American Beauty all day long. Yeah, if it starred Nicolas Cage, you know, sure. which it did, which it actually we should have picked it because it did start Nicolas Cage. <laughs> I forgot. I forgot about our show cannon. There's <laughs> a way to make that happen. Uh, Big Hero uh, Six, thank you for smoking. I love Big Hero Six, but it's thank you for smoking. Agreed. Um, have you Never seen- heard of the, that movie. Came out in 1896. There's no way I've heard of that. <laughs> <laughs> Warrior view from the top. Uh, they both aren't very good. A view from the top because I just didn't enjoy Warrior. I actually really liked Warrior. I remember you not really? liking it though. So we can flip it. Of course, I win when it doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, like, I don't love a view from the top. I don't. Right. So. <laughs> Three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, two weeks notice. Three billboards. Das Boot, the professional. It's tough. Uh, wow. I don't know where to go with it. Where are you going on that one? Going the professional. I did not enjoy Das Boot. This way too long. Uh, All right. I'll go with you. Yeah. I mean, I prefer, prefer a movie that's shorter. <laughs> I, and I feel like as time goes on, that director is going to have things that are going to come out and make his movies hard to watch as well. I think they're already kind of out there. Uh, but that. still four hours. <laughs> 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 so horrible. Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald, Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Agreed. A Nightmare on Elm Street, Part 2, Freddy's Revenge, or Ghost Ship. Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Yeah. The Craft Midnight Cowboy. The Craft. Fuck Midnight Cowboy. Yeah. 60s bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) Who framed Roger Rabbit? Tommy Boy. Roger Rabbit. Yeah. I did watch a great uh, biography of of, of, uh, Farley, though, that makes me kind of love Tommy Boy a little bit more. Where was that at? It was just on YouTube. It was an A&E biography that just happened to be on YouTube. And oh, that's it's cool. really good. Yeah. 48 Hours or U.S. Marshals? 48 Hours. I'm not a big fan of 48 Hours, but it's better than U.S. Marshals. Just Married Rear Window. Rear Window. <laughs> Jack Reacher, City of God. 
two good movies in very different ways, but obviously City of God is a masterpiece and Jack Reacher is, you know, it's an action. It's, it's an a good action movie. movie. Terminator Salvation, Far and Away. Far and Away. <laughs> That's just how bad Terminator Salvation is. Salem's Lot, The Fifth Element. I've not seen Salem's Lot, have you? No. Ew, I've never seen it. Doubt, The Fifth Element. That's tough. I love The Fifth Element. Fuck. But doubt is so good. Where are you going? Did Luke Besson do the fifth element too? Yeah. I'm going doubt. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll, I'll be with you. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm with you, but again, I just, I'm starting to, I don't know. I just, yeah. powerful people are just not good. <laughs> Rogue One knowing. Rogue One. I would love to get Josh on that one. <laughs> oh, he'd take the knowing all day. City Lights or Superman 4? City Lights. By a lot. The Shape of Water, the Wolverine. The Shape of Water. Absolutely. The Cider House rules 48 hours. 48 hours. By a lot. Bend it like Beckham. Freddy got fingered. <laughs> No, at least Freddie got figured is memorable. Like I, I have an opinion of Freddie got figured. Like Bennett, like Beckham is just the absence of a movie. <laughs> yeah, all it did was introduce me to David Beckham, and I didn't even see the movie. <laughs> Kill Bill Volume Two can't hardly wait. Of yeah, of course, <laughs> Kill Bill Two. <laughs> uh, Roth Never. Okay. No. Splash Godzilla 2014. Splash. Yes. Well, one where they don't use her hair to cover her butt. Right. Yeah. <laughs> if it's the Disney Plus version, I'm going Godzilla. Okay. <laughs> <sighs> Is that a porn version of, <laughs> of the very close encounters? I've never heard of it, but the color kind of looks like it might be. <laughs> I don't think I've seen either of those movies. <laughs> yeah, the other one looks like I know the other one's Dolly. The other one's Dollar Dolly Parton as a therapist, but I don't. I don't remember if I've ever seen that. <laughs> Jesus Christ! What the fuck? American Pie Two, Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. Two movies I mean, we watched today. We'd probably be like, "Yeah, that is funny." That I remember. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know there. what to do. I think Harold and Kumar, I think he's probably because I like those guys so much. I like the American Pie guys, though, too. So, I mean, I'm kind of of two minds. I mean, I I don't know where I, where to go on this, honestly. It's hard for me, too. I, like, I've watched American Pie 2 more. Yeah. But, you know, there's a whole scene, a uh, long scene of just them you know you two kiss first and then we'll kiss and then you two do the and it's just kind of probably cringeworthy watching that today uh <laughs> and harold and kumar this is the original one so uh, yeah. at least if it was american pie versus this i would probably would have gone american pie but since it's yeah. a sequel versus the original i'll go harold and kumar john carter weird science weird science fracture house of whipcord 
Never seen House of Whipcord. Looks like another porn movie. Why are they putting porn on here? Yeah, it looks like... <laughs> or 70s exploitation. <laughs> Fracture or Arthur? Arthur. Fracture is pretty bad. The Big Sleep, Night at the Museum. The Big Sleep. When Harry Met Sally Without a Paddle. When Harry Met Sally. It's like we're not even trying anymore. <laughs> Stir of Echoes, The Visitor. Those are two really good movies, but I, I think we have to sh- stick with Showcat who picks Stir of Echoes. <laughs> we're going to make that movie popular if it kills us. I, I'm not kidding you. When I saw that movie, I was like, The Sixth Sense? Who gives a fuck about this movie? <laughs> I'm not kidding. Uh, I also watched <laughs> it in an empty theater, which made it that much crazier. I love the uh, same. I love the painted black redone. The, I don't. I just oh, that was so good. Yeah, so fucking good. And everybody's just like, eh, it's fine. <laughs> it's like, whatever. <laughs> that's gonna be our. That's gonna be our phantoms. Is like <laughs> Stir of <Right>. Echoes. <laughs> <laughs> Stir of Echoes is the bond, man. <laughs> Yeah, it's six degrees of Ben Affleck and and Stir of Echoes. We're changing, and, and Nicholas Cage is Kevin Kevin Spacey. <laughs> that's that's show canon right now. Yeah. <laughs> All right, that's our show. We're leaving on that one. All right, talk to you later. Yeah. Bye.